0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, May 25th, we are studying Romans chapter 11, verses 13-24. through 24. Israel has stumbled. Gentiles have come to salvation. So how should the Gentiles respond to this reality? St. Paul turns to address them particularly— as his epistle continues into today's text. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Jacob Dandy. Pastor Dandy serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terabella, California. Pastor Dandy, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: It's good to be here, Pastor Apple.
0: As we get started this morning, Pastor Dandy, give us some context we are... Nearing the end of this section, Romans nine through eleven, in which Paul addresses this reality of of many of the people of Israel who have rejected the gospel, and many Gentiles have believed. What do we need to know going into this part of that text?
1: Uh, yeah, paul is Paul is really wrestling with this. and you can tell that Paul wrestles with this individually, uh, knowing that his his those who he would consider his his brothers by birth, the nation that he was born out of. Uh, many of them have fallen from the faith, and yet Paul wants to be very clear uh, that uh, salvation comes by faith and not works from the law. And so, at the end of chapter nine, uh, you get this bit where where Paul is telling uh, telling the the Roman church that you know here here's the deal. Um, you, you have these Gentiles who are living as proof that the righteousness of God comes by faith. Because, look, the Gentiles are believing in the gospel, and according to the promises of God, they have faith. So righteousness of God comes by faith alone, not by works of the law. Uh, And then he gets the the counterbalance to that argument um, by saying, hey, look at the... people who are of Israel, uh, who have rejected the faith and haven't come into the Christian faith, Um, uh, they are looking for their works to justify them, but according to the Word and the promises of God, they aren't justified. They do not have the righteousness of God, right? Uh, Then he goes into uh, chapter 10, and he wants to establish even further that uh, righteousness of God, the, the salvation that we have in Christ, is completely a gift from God, right? He wants to emphasize this, and so he says, well, look, um, you hear and you believe, you Christians in Rome, because you heard the Word of God. Uh, we get that wonderful verse in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and even the Word of Christ, right? Uh, that we, we receive the Gospel by hearing the proclamation of God's Word. And he says, well, the the Jews who have rejected the gospel have heard the word, right? And they do not believe. And yet the Gentiles who have heard the gospel have heard the word, and they do believe. And so he's he's really wanting to emphasize that uh, salvation, the righteousness of God, is given through faith. It is given as a gift of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. But now Paul begins to wrestle with Israel's response to the gospel and God's response to Israel. See, much of Israel rejects the free gift of Christ's righteousness, and in turn, God removes those who reject the gospel from being part of uh, the true Israel, right, the the true Israel of the church. You know, you have back in chapter 9 where Paul says, not all Israel is Israel. Uh, And and he's emphasizing that reality here, saying, you know, the true Israel uh, is the church that believes in Christ, and so those who are the nation memberships of the uh, Israel culture um, aren't necessarily, or descendants of Abraham, aren't necessarily part of Israel, the church uh, that believes and holds to Christ, and yet he wants to hold on to hope that those who have been—and uh, um, uh, we'll, we'll get into this analogy a little bit further—those uh, who have been kind of clipped from uh, the gathering of God's people have this opportunity to return, right? So Paul hints at his hope that all of those who have fallen from the faith and the rejection of the gospel may someday be restored. And so now— as we've seen Israel respond by rejecting the Gospel, and God responds by uh, responding to their rejection of faith by um, removing them uh, as members of God's people, Paul now shifts his focus squarely at the Gentiles, and he begins to address them very directly in order to instruct them uh, how to regard the Jewish peoples in their midst, right? Uh, yeah, go ahead.
0: I was going to just go ahead and read the text for us then, because that that sets it up beautifully. As you said, Paul's going to turn and address the Gentiles. So let's go ahead ahead and hear how Paul does that, and then I'll let you take us into what he, he does when he makes this turn. So this is Romans 11, beginning at verse 13. Paul writes, Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as firstfruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? There is the text for today, Romans chapter 11, verses 13 through 24. So, Pastor Danny, this text starts with a very clear transition. Paul Directly addresses Gentiles now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, um, and so there's there's a kind of, and it's a subtle change for us in English. It probably would have been a little bit more clear in the original language in that pronoun "you," right? Uh, that um, he's been using up to this point. Uh, this this maybe something that could be translated: "All of you guys, uh, all of you Christians in Rome," right? Um, but now it's kind of more like, uh, you guys, right there, right? You guys directly, I'm talking to you Gentiles. He's, and it's kind of like, uh, um, in the language at least, it's kind of like he's singling them out. He's saying, hey, all right, I've been talking to the church at large in, in the city of Rome, but now, Gentiles, I need to address you, because this is very important, what I want you to hear, uh, because there are... Dangers uh, lurking in every corner for you uh, that you need to be aware of, uh, and how considering how you regard um, the Jewish Christians in your midst, but also uh, those Jews who have been uh, cut off from the faith, right, uh, by their unbelief. And so uh, he really wants to address the Gentile Christians in Rome in order to guide their attitude. Guide how they treat, how they regard, and think about the Jews in and around the the Roman congregations. Mm-hmm. He he doesn't, and and there's there's kind of two layers of issues there that maybe we can explore together. But uh, first, uh, and this is the one that kind of goes throughout the entire uh, passage here, is that he doesn't want them to grow arrogant. He doesn't want them to be puffed up and how they consider and think about the Jewish Christians. Uh, uh, He doesn't want them to boast over them, right? Because uh, boasting over them would would cheapen the grace that, oh, somehow I'm part of it and you aren't. Uh, I have grace and you don't, Uh, and it's because of this reason or that reason. And you can create all kinds of stuff there in your head. But then there's also this other reason that I've been thinking about and uh, in doing some reading uh, has kind of come to mind, and and that is that the Christian faith has an inherent Jewishness in it that Paul doesn't want the Christians in Rome to lose. And I I really want to be clear in what I say with that, because uh, we live in the 21st century, we don't live in the 1st century, and so Judaism in the 21st century— um, is is an entirely different religion than the Judaism of the first century. Um, the Judaism of the 21st century that, that we kind of uh, see and interact with in our culture and in our world, it, it's not the same thing as the Judaism that takes place that is in the first century that is centered around the priesthood, that is centered around... The temple that uh, is is uh, anticipating uh, uh, the uh, Messiah to come. Uh, you know, they're different faiths altogether. But uh, there, there really is this issue that has been highlighted. I, I recently read, uh, and I don't agree with N.T. Wright on a lot of things, but I read his biography on Saint Paul, and I think he hit a lot of notes of a potential danger. Uh, that the Christians in Rome were facing, and so I want to I want to explore this a little bit with you, and you can kind of give me your thoughts. I I, would, I appreciate it. But uh, in the context of the writing of the Book of Romans, uh, you know, our best guess about the authorship and uh, well, not the authorship, but the time of uh, Romans being written is around fifty five A D, uh, and that is right after Emperor Claudius cast out. Um, I, there was this, this time where Emperor Claudius banished all the Jews from the city of Rome. And so that would have been uh, the Jews who had converted to the faith. Uh, it would have been the Jews who hadn't converted to the faith. They would all have been removed from the congregations in Rome. Uh, and then that banishment ends um, in 54 AD, and all the Jews come back into Rome. Uh, and so now you, you have maybe a, a potential tension there where you have these Gentile congregations and these Gentile Christians who were not banished from Rome for five years, but then you also have these Jewish Christians uh, and then these Jewish non-Christians who come back into Rome, uh, and there's the potential maybe that they even have competing or, or rival congregations going on. Um, uh that uh, or, or just uh, the Jewish congregations are are wanting to still kind of keep purity, so they're they're maybe not interacting very much. And so you have this potential separation there. Um, and so we, we have this danger for the Gentile Christians to reimagine the Christian faith um, as a completely uh, Gentile phenomenon. Right? And he, uh, so in here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a—can I read a short quote from uh, N.T. Wright's book here on Paul's biography? Sure, go ahead. All right. It says this. It's so uh, N.T. Wright says, he says, Paul saw, then, the danger that a new generation of Roman Christians would have grown up in the absence of Jews between 49 and 54 A.D., to be proud of the fact that this new religion, though accidentally having begun in the Jewish world, had now become a completely Gentile phenomenon. The temptation would then be for such a new generation to look at the powerful synagogue communities run in Rome up and running again after five years of absence, and to assume that the God of Jesus had finished with the Jews once and for all. The proud and vital word, Messiah, would just become a proper name, and worshiping Jesus would no longer be infested with the echoes of the Psalms and the prophets, according to whom Israel's Messiah would be the Lord of the whole world. The Christian movement would turn itself into a kind of private spirituality less concerned with the kingdom of God on earth and heaven, and more concerned with cultivating one's own spiritual interiority. It would no longer be a movement based on a messianic eschatology, but it would become a religion that saw itself as different from the Jewish religion, a private religion that would no longer pose much of a threat to the principalities and powers, the rulers and the authorities." And and so what N.T. Wright is saying here is that um, true Orthodox Christianity is the natural continuance of the Old Testament faith, and to remove the Gentiles from that context would actually be dangerous to their faith, because they would be losing... Um, and, and we'll get into this uh, when we get into our tree metaphor um, and, and the latter verses of this text. Um, you're, you're really losing the root of the faith, right? Uh, they're, they're losing, um, uh, well, they're losing the term Messiah. They're losing the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, they're, they're losing the uh, typology of the Old Testament laws of the temple and the priesthood. Uh, the the kingship, uh, that Jesus is the Lord. Uh, all of this stuff kind of would be slowly stripped away uh, when when the Jewish Christians are no longer um, uh, part uh, and, and included in these Gentile um, uh, Christian communities. And so Paul—and and what Wright is arguing is that Paul is having— Actually, a little bit of prescient thoughts to what does develop in the second century, um, where you have heresies like Gnosticism come into play. Right, you know, Gnosticism is turning uh uh the Christian religion into an inner self-discovery, uh rather or a private devotion than a public witness of what God has accomplished throughout the ages, right? Or you have uh Um, Marcionism, where this this guy Marcion um, pretty much says, hey, let's throw out the Old Testament. It's pointless. We don't need it, right? Uh, And so Paul is actually uh, exercising a lot of forethought here, saying, hey, you know, uh, salvation comes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, that um, uh, the the promises of Jesus have been being handed down uh, from Adam and Eve to Noah to Abraham. Uh, through Moses and the kings and the prophets. Uh and and it would be a shame for us not to hold out hope uh for those Jewish people in our midst to to hear the word of God in faith and see and understand that Christ as the ultimate savior of the world. Right? The ultimate fulfillment of of all that they had believed in up to that point. And so uh there, there's, there's that kind of underwriting issue there that um Paul does not want the Christian Christian communities in Rome at, to lose uh their root really um, by becoming a distinctly Gentile movement
0: let, let me let me try to respond to that that was a whole lot, Pastor Dandy. So let me let me try to, to respond to to some of it, if I can, and and try to to yeah. focus us and and keep us on the text too. So uh, a couple of things. Uh, one, I I don't I don't know that that we fully appreciate the the Jew Gentile distinction as it's laid mm-hmm. out in in Paul's epistles, particularly, and, and I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure what modern example to use to help us appreciate how big of a deal this was, but it it it's probably it was a bigger deal than than most of us probably realize that this is this is a a big deal. Se- yes, secondly, I, I wanna I wanna emphasize what you what you said uh, about that Judaism as it exists today is not what what Paul has in mind, and so so when we talk about retaining the the jewish nature of christianity we want to make sure that we understand it as paul would would say something for example i'm I'm thinking in the the letter to the colossians in chapter 2 where he talks about there's no more need to observe sabbaths and new moons and festivals like that so when when we talk about the the jewish nature of christianity it doesn't mean that we would observe for example the ceremonial or civil laws of the Old Testament but but rather I, I think that the way and I and this isn't exactly how you said it but you're pretty close you said that that Christianity is the continuance of the Old Testament faith and and that's that's what we can never lose as Christians that we would somehow make ourselves and I don't even know how to, to say this exactly that we can't make ourselves into, only new testament christians as if the old testament has nothing to say to us or as if the old testament isn't as if it's not our book in fact it is our book the old testament belongs to christians this is i think ultimately that's the, the claim that paul would make and so to mm-hmm. to leave behind and so maybe to, to try to draw us back here to, to romans 11 to leave behind those who had received the old testament as the Word of God, and yet rejected it, as Paul has said, to leave them behind as Gentiles would be complete arrogance, and and really would be, and I think this is where he'll go, would be to miss the point of the salvation by grace that they've received as Gentiles that's always been there for Israel, even though they've rejected it. Does yeah, that...
1: absolutely. That but... That is it. Yeah. Um, very well said. Very well said, Pastor Apple. Um and, and that's, that's what really, um, that's, the, that's the driving force behind the, the, the chief issue that Paul is addressing here, is that um, uh, there's this, this overarching issue throughout this text that the Gentiles run the risk of becoming arrogant. And, and becoming puffed up towards the Jewish people in Rome. And that's that's really the string that runs throughout this entire passage uh, that Paul is wanting to make sure he addresses, that Paul does not want the Gentile believers to adopt a prideful attitude towards those who have fallen away from the faith, uh, and yet rather he, he actually wants them to see um, what has happened uh, to to those Jews who have fallen away, uh, who have rejected the words of the Scriptures in the Old Testament, and in the light of Christ, uh, and be humbled, uh, and to to act in and think in a compassionate way towards them. Um, he he wants this so much that he says, you know, and, and this is getting us into. Uh, the second half of verse 13, he says that he magnifies his ministry to the Gentiles in hopes that uh, the Jews would see what's happening and, and they would believe, right? He he hopes that the Jews will see the faith of the Gentiles and see what God has promised them and repent. Um, and, and really, this is the attitude that we should carry towards unbelievers around us, right? Um, uh, that we should, should view ourselves in a, a humble manner uh, and and look at them with compassion, right? Um, and, and perhaps, you know, we don't have the same Jew-Gentile distinction in our midst. Um, but I think, especially in, in our world around us today, we, we do have... Uh, maybe some issues that are similar to this, because I I think we, I I don't think you can meet anybody that doesn't have a friend or a family member who has fallen from the faith, right? Um, uh, You know, as we we progress further and further into the 21st century, that seems to be a more common theme. And I think uh, what Paul is saying here about uh, these, these, people who, who have the Old Testament, they have the scriptures, they have the words and the promises of God, but then uh, they they aren't justified. They don't receive the righteousness of faith. Um, well, we, we have the people that we grew up with in the Church that are no longer part of the Church. Um, and how should we regard them? How should we treat them? How should we think about them? How should we pray for them? Uh, and I think that's a big question uh that uh every christian needs to wrestle with because we we all have people that we love um who are no longer part of the church and there are you know some reactions that are necessarily helpful that are maybe common and natural to our our simple flesh you know um you have that person that you grew up with, uh, a sibling, a cousin, uh, you know, a friend from church, uh, and they, they fall from the faith. And, you know, you have this natural temptation to maybe get angry uh, and to be mad at the person who has fallen away and, and to react in anger and, and to, to be mad about um, what they have done, the, be mad about the, the distress and pain they're causing in your family or in your community. And, you know, it is distressing. It is distressing when a person you know and love leaves the faith. There's no doubt about that. Um, But it's also incredibly harmful to let anger consume and and take the place of a hopeful witness of God's Word. You know, to let anger get in the way of um, our hope that those unbelievers that we love uh, would repent of their unbelief and return to the Church. And then there's the other end of that, where there's the um, other dangerous reactions that, uh, and this is what Paul's really addressing here, is to become prideful over an apostate person, I, and that's that's a phenomenally dangerous thing as well.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. We have time for... Let me let me let's let's pick that more. Let's pick at that a little more on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFU. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Monday, May 25th. We are looking at Romans chapter 11, verses 13 through 24 with Pastor Jacob Dandy. Pastor Dandy serves at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Terrabella, California. Pastor Dandy, prior to the break, we we were looking at, we're talking about two different reactions that that Christians are tempted to have against those who have fallen into unbelief, the first being anger, the second being arrogance or pride, and we were talking about that matter when, when we took the break.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, and so there's this tendency that we can become puffed up and proud over and again uh, those who uh, might have fallen away. And actually, I kind of have a story that illustrates this, and it, you know, kind of shows how this can kind of creep into to our thinking. Um, do you remember maybe it was like 10 or 15 years ago Oprah Oprah Winfrey the, the talk show host lady kind of started um propagating her her own spirituality right and and she was uh really uh evangelizing this this version of uh uh you know almost this, this televangelizing her own her own spiritual viewpoints and you know here I, I was a young guy I was probably uh, prior to me going to seminary, but, um, you know, I was thinking about becoming a pastor, I was starting to think about theology a little bit, and, you know, I was, I was kind of disturbed by this, and so I, I was talking about this with some of the, uh, um, I'll call them the adults in my family, family, the, some of the older people, and I was just saying, this, you know, this is terrible, you know, she's, she's going to lead people astray, people are going to fall from the faith, uh, you know, uh, this is false teaching. This this is dangerous and harmful to people's faith. And, and you know, I was pretty upset over it. Um, and then one of the people that I was talking to uh, said something, and it, it rings in my head over and over again when I think about this. Um, she said, well, those people who are going to believe in, in what Oprah says, they aren't really the people that we want in our churches anyway. Mm. And, you know, the more and more I go back to that, what a what a very arrogant statement to make, right? Um, those people who watch Oprah um, uh, aren't the people we want to associate with in our churches. Um, and and you know, there's that idea that to think that some people are not worth our prayers, that they're not worth our, our witness of the gospel, they're they're not worth hoping for, that they would receive and and to live in God's mercy. Uh, that's just wrong. Uh, uh, we should willingly extend the hope that God can change and convert the hardest of hearts. Uh, and, and honestly, if, if we can't extend that hope, um, we, we really should pack it in and, and we should give up preaching altogether. Um, and, you know I'm speaking hyperbolically here of course but you know uh, we, we preach the gospel with the faith and the expectation. Um, that people will hear the gospel and believe, right? Uh, and and to remember that um, that once we uh, were not a people, but we are a people. Once we were unbelievers, but now we are believers. Uh, we have received the righteousness of Christ through through grace, by grace through faith. Uh, and so. Uh, there's there's this danger that runs through life that, that we can become puffed up and arrogant and start thinking, well, those aren't the people we want to hear the gospel anyway. Uh, maybe a more of a disturbing modern one is, well, I don't want somebody who, who votes uh, liberal in my church, or uh, I don't want uh, any of those raging conservatives in my congregation, right? Um, you know, those aren't the people we want around. Well, no, we want all people. hear the gospel and be saved. And we want those people who have fallen away that we love to be saved. Um, And so there's a danger there that, you know, we we begin to think about the church uh, as an exclusionary community rather than one that desires all to hear the gospel, all to uh, hear this Word of God and cling to it in faith and in the purity of its preaching.
0: That, that attitude of arrogance is the one that, that Paul is really aiming at here, particularly as we get into the second half of the text in verses 17 and following. There's there, Before we go there, though, I think there, there may be one more attitude that we would find ourselves in danger of falling into, and that would be the attitude of despair, which, which is oh, yeah. clearly not on Paul's mind. He he's very realistic in this passage. You know, he he talks about magnifying his ministry to the Gentiles to to make his fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them, which is is very realistic. That he he knows that not everyone is going to believe, but but he doesn't. He's not despairing because he's got the word of God. That's what he's preaching. Yeah. That's what. Has the power to to save, so so he guards against the despairing attitude too, and and then you get this this element of of great hope um, and and joy that's there for Paul as he he considers the fact that that some of his fellow Jews may be driven to this jealousy and and then hear the word in faith and and come to to believe, and he even compares it to to a resurrection from the dead. Take us into verses fifteen and sixteen, Pastor Dandy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um... And so, uh, here in verse 15 and 16, uh, you know, we have, we have Paul say, uh, uh, if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead, right? And so you, you have this, it's kind of a neat progression, that the transgression of Israel leads to the gospel being extended to the Gentiles, which leads to the jealousy of the Jews, which leads to the restoration of some of Israel to the faith which leads to greater riches for the Gentiles, namely life from the dead. Meaning that um, uh, as as Paul would go from city to city, the first place he would usually visit as he would go to proclaim the gospel would be the synagogue. Now, um, some would believe, others would drive him out, but then where would Paul go? He'd go to the agoras, he'd go to the marketplace. Uh, he'd proclaim the gospel there. And so then you have Paul leaving these little congregations behind him as he, as he went from city to city uh, in his missionary journeys. And uh, as he, he did so, you see that, okay, so he's not accepted in the synagogue, so he has to go preach somewhere else. But as he preaches somewhere else, the Gentiles receive the gospel, and now Paul extends the hope that as he continues to preach the gospel uh, amongst the Gentiles, there will be those who see the riches that God is pouring out, right? Uh, and, and when I say riches, I, I don't mean material wealth, but I mean uh, the riches of God's grace um, uh, that God is pouring out on these Gentiles, uh, and then that they might become jealous and, and uh, delight in this. And then as then those who become jealous and come to uh, um, join these, these Jew-Gentile communities uh, there of, of the church, uh, that they would uh, then join together in the faith. Uh, and so what Paul is saying, it's going to be a joy for the Gentiles, uh, for those uh, people of Israel who did not uh, receive the faith to repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, and in the midst of all of this, uh, uh, those those who were dead in their unbelief would be brought to the life of faith. Right, um, and those who are restored will be lifted up with Christ in the resurrection on the last day, and so there's this ultimate joy when uh, the church will ultimately be assembled together on the last day and lifted up from the dead to be with Christ in eternity. And so uh, there's there's this this hopefulness that Paul extends that God is going to fill His church and the fullness of God's Church will be gathered together. Hmm. And so uh, as you go from uh, this kind of progression here, uh, the ultimate hope here is uh, that Christ has this, uh, has the ultimate, uh, I keep saying the word ultimate, Christ has this, this last day where the Church will be fully assembled and be filled uh, and uh, we should be living in ancient, our anxious expectation of that, right? Um, and so, what does Paul do? He he lives uh, in a very hopeful manner, knowing that that God's word is going to do its work. Um, it, it's kind of like a farmer. Uh, you know, uh, if the markets are really bad and the prices uh, or the prices of grains are really low. Um, what does a farmer do? Well, he plants more, right, to, to make up the difference. And if the markets are really good and the prices of corn and soybeans and stuff are really high, what does a farmer do? He does the same thing. He plants more. And so uh, Paul here uh, is, is hopeful in this way. In the same way, he, what does he do? He preaches more. Uh, he preaches more to the Gentiles and hope and expectation uh, that the Word of God will not return void, that that Christ is the Lord of the Church, that the Holy Spirit is going to continue to work through the preaching of the Word, uh, and that those who have fallen away um, will uh, receive the Gospel in faith, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's kind of the, the overall hope here that uh, continues through the text as well. So Paul issues this warning to the Gentiles, don't become arrogant, hmm. but also he's, he's trying to instill the entire Church with hope that uh, uh, God uh, will call and assemble his Church together in its fullness, both Jew and Gentile alike, uh, and he will gather his Christians. Um, and we have the same eschatological promise of the last day, uh, where Christ will indeed raise us
0: all from the dead. That that hope and warning that go together, Paul communicates through the the picture of a a wild or an olive tree. The roots, the shoots, the branches. He he lays all that out. He does mention very briefly. I don't I don't want to neglect this entirely. In the beginning of verse 16, he says, "If the dough offered as the first fruits is holy, that's a reference to Numbers 15, where where some mm-hmm. dough was offered as first fruits." And he mentions that. I mean, we're talking about not losing the Old Testament character of the Christian faith. There's there's a yep. spot where it's it's helpful to know your Old Testament. So check out check out Numbers 15 for that reference. But Paul Paul chooses not to dwell on that one. He really expands this image of the root. The branches, wild olive shoots, and that dominates the rest of the text, verses seventeen through twenty-four. So, Pastor Dandy, we've got over fifteen minutes to look at at this section. Help us begin.
1: Yeah, and so uh, in in verse seventeen through twenty-four, you you have this um this really cool analogy of cultivating plants. Now, you now I, I live here in the the California Central Valley, and uh, here it's it's all orange groves, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, pistachio orchards and all of that stuff. And, and one of the things that I, I learned that I didn't know when I first moved here from the from the local farmers is that, uh, you know, when you grow up, you know, they teach you that when you eat an orange, you can take the seed out. You put the seed in and, and some dirt, water it, and it'll grow into an orange tree and you get more oranges, right? But that's not exactly how um, cultivation of trees works. You don't get um, the same quality of orange by just planting the seed from an orange tree. Um, It actually will produce wild fruit, uh, and it won't be very good. Um, And so what you have to do is you have to take a a root and then take a shoot from a good tree, and you grasp that onto the root, and that's how you grow um, and cultivate good oranges. That's how you grow and cultivate actually good olive trees um, by by grafting a good tree onto a root, right? Uh, it, it, and actually, you could probably look out the window of my office here and see hundreds of acres of orange groves, and they're probably all, um, many of them at least, are from the same original tree. And so you get this, this idea when you're cultivating plants um, that you take a a good shoot onto bad roots to get good fruit, right? But God actually does the opposite by grafting bad shoots onto good roots. So the Gentiles, these these wild olive shoots, are made into good branches on the good tree by the grace of God alone. And so there's... There's a lot to be said there just about the Gentiles being grafted on to the wild tree. they're, they're the wild shoots uh, they' they're, they're not the desirable plant and yet God makes them part of the tree right And so you have the root of the tree here and this is this is the faith of the patriarchs and the prophets it's the faith in the coming Messiah you know this this faith that holds Jesus as the object of faith. and so the root of the tree is the promise of Christ. And Christ coming into the world, right? Mm. Uh, but now, uh, you know, these Gentiles are incorporated into this promise of Christ. But then we have uh, those of Israel um, who are pruned; they're they're cut off from the tree by their um, denial of the faith. And so we we have this 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 humility that should. Uh, uh, be placed upon these Gentiles because they are completely undeserving of this promise, right? Um, they They didn't grow up in this uh, in this life. They, they aren't descendants from Abraham. They didn't grow up memorizing and reciting the Torah. They, they didn't go about keeping ceremonial cleanliness and all of these things throughout their entire life. They didn't have their eyes fixed on the coming Messiah. They, they, they were grafted in as uh, maybe those who are unnatural to the tree, but God makes them natural branches of the tree through his gift of grace. He adds them to the, to the kingdom of God. And so uh, their desire, then, in all humility, should be for that grace to be extended to the branches that have been pruned. And so the Gentiles are not to become proud, right? Um, They are not their own saviors, Uh, you know, it's not like a a wild branch uh, can will itself to being part of the good tree, right? Uh, But they're sinners who have been saved by grace through faith, and their need is the same need as those branches that have been pruned from the tree and are lying on the ground. Uh, They aren't worthy of their place on the olive tree. Uh, And so, Paul is really saying don't become arrogant. Uh, Remember that you don't support the root. Remember that you aren't in charge of all of this. That that God has done this according to his higher purpose of love for you. Um, And we shouldn't delude ourselves that God doesn't have love for these other people, as well, uh, and and that's the kind of the big thing that um, they need to be remembering there is that they're not to become proud. Uh, they are to remember that you know, as you know, that famous uh, phrase that Luther uh, wrote before he died: "We are all beggars. This is true. That we are included in the kingdom of God simply by grace. We we haven't." Earned anything. We haven't earned our spot here on the tree. Uh, And there are natural branches that were part of the tree that have been removed. And really, that that, you know, verses 19 through 20, we we have this, this really sobering reality that Paul lays upon the Gentile Christians where he says. Uh, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. He's speaking for the Gentiles, and he says, yeah, that is true. But they were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. And so Paul is saying, fear God. Because look what happened. That there are those who did fall from the faith. And so fear God, remain steadfast in the faith, don't become proud, lest you fall from the faith, uh, um, and you find yourself pruned from the tree as well. Because, you know, what what is at the root here? Um, you know, and I'm at the root of the problem, you know, what, what does Paul say all the way back in chapter 9 about why Israel doesn't believe, but that Israel pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, but they did not succeed in reaching the law. That Israel was proud enough to, to strive for the righteousness of God that doesn't come by faith, but comes through works of the law, and they found themselves cast out and, and pruned from the tree. Uh, and so the Gentiles should not think that they are not immune of this risk. They should not think that they are, are that they are immune from this risk. They they shouldn't think that they are um, uh, free from care, but rather they should fear God. They should believe in the gospel. They 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 should cling to the word that God has given them to believe in, uh, because unbelief is what condemns. Right, uh, uh, Mark sixteen sixteen, uh, which many of us will be reading. Uh, this next week, or last week, with Ascension, uh, where uh, Jesus says, uh, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. See, all that matters here is faith and unbelief. Mm-hmm. You have received the gospel, and faith is a work of God's grace alone. Your faith, and, and this is a big thing that we, we as uh, American Christians need to, to remind ourselves of, our faith is not a work that we have done that we can boast in. Hmm. I can't go touting uh, my faith as something that I've created or conjured up in myself, but my faith is a gracious gift from a merciful God. And so if you lose sight of that and begin to boast over your own works, if you had to boast over your own part in the kingdom of God, you might find yourself subject to the pruner. Hmm. And so Paul is is really wanting to warn the Gentiles here, don't think that you are now immune to what's happened to these Jews. Fear God. Believe the gospel, uh, uh, and and cling to the promises of Christ, because your inclusion is by faith alone. Uh, it's the good. And in verse twenty one, you know, you get this uh, um, statement here, where it says, "For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you." If the good branches were trimmed from the tree for unbelief, wild branches will be trimmed from the tree for unbelief as well. So fear the Lord, cling to the gospel, Uh, hope in Jesus Christ alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and so that's, it, it should be an incredibly sobering reminder Um that we cannot, there's no room for personal pride as Christians. You know, as, as Paul says in other places in the New Testament, um, uh, he boasts in his weakness. Uh, his boast is the gospel, right? Um, and, and that's that's the thing that we cling to, that's the thing that we boast in, is that the gospel has saved me, a poor wretched sinner. Hmm.
0: This This is a part of of scripture that I don't know that we we always pay that close attention to or we don't take the warnings here as seriously as we should. This isn't this isn't what we typically like to talk about this this possibility of of being pruned. And and, and yet it, it's there we need to we need to pay attention to it. it. I I'm seeing here Paul really bring together a lot of what he's talked about in Romans 9 and 10 already. For for example this matter of the fear of god holding a great spot of prominence as an uh, an antidote to the arrogance that would otherwise overtake us uh, this was this was quite evident in Romans chapter 9 when he was talking about you know there were questions of well is there injustice on god's part was he somehow unfair and and at one point he says you know who are you old man to answer back to god don't don't you know who he is and and you see yeah. that come up here again, too. Don't you know who he is? And and recognizing the gracious aspect of that. Don't you know who he is, that he has grafted you, Gentile, freely into the tree apart from anything that you have done? Don't you know who he is? And also, don't you know who he is, that judgment comes for unbelief? Those who do not believe will be condemned, as you quoted from from Mark 16. So, so what's the antidote to that? Fear God. And, and then, too, I mean, again, as, as you were talking about how, how there's this temptation for us as American Christians, particularly, to think of, of faith as something we do, I mean, I'm reminded of what, what he said in, in chapter 10, and, and when we talked about that, that progression that Paul lists out, we are often tempted to focus on the matter of, it's, okay, I've called on the name of the Lord, so I'm saved— but, but Paul says, wait a second, start with with where it starts, which is God. God sends the word through a preacher to you so that word works faith in your heart and you, you call in the name of the Lord. Don't start with a calling on the, on the Lord. Start with God who sent and who called. I mean, so all of this is, is coming together here for the Gentile particularly. Pay attention to the root to the promise yeah. of Christ, who has who has freely grafted you into this tree, and it's only on account of him that, that you're in this tree. Pastor Danny, we've got like three minutes left here on the morning to, to wrap things up.
1: All right. Well here, we'll we'll try and do as much justice for verses twenty-two through twenty-four as we can, uh, in this last little bit. But uh Paul Paul wants us to see uh, this in verse twenty two it says now then kindness and the severity of God a note then that kindness and severity God severity towards those who have fallen but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness otherwise you too will be cut off so that that warning is brought into very clean language here that his wrath against the unbeliever is severe but his kindness towards the believer is great and should be cherished and delighted delighted in. Uh, Luther said, On the basis of this passage, we teach that we see the fall of Jews and heretics or others, Uh, we should consider not those who fell, but the work of God in them, so that we may learn to fear God by the example of the misery of others and no way be proud, right? Uh, And so when we see people fall away, once again, uh, fear the Lord. But also then we should delight in knowing that God has extended his kindness to us. That God has extended the kindness of his gospel that we might find rest and comfort in him, right? What's the thing that comforts the Christian when somebody they love falls from the faith? Well, it's the same thing that comforts the Christian in every other situation. It's the gospel of Jesus dying and rising for our forgiveness and eternal life. And so then verses 23 through 24 says, Even they, if they do not continue their unbelief, will be grafted in for... God has the power to graft them in again, and so God has the power to save even the most hardened unbeliever, and so it would be wonderful and even natural to see the native branches of the tree restored, and so the the overall conclusion here is don't be proud. We all depend on God's grace. Fear the Lord cling to the gospel, hold out hope that those uh, that have fallen away, that God would bring them back to faith, and and rejoice in the gospel as you have it. Um, Look at the grace of God as the key component, the love of God, as the chief cause of our justification and his love for us.
0: Pastor Jacob Dandy is the pastor at Zion Lutheran Church and School in Tarabella, California, helping us this morning with Romans chapter 11, verses 13 through 24. Pastor Dandy, thanks for your time today.
1: Ah, it's good to be here.
0: You Gentiles, you have been grafted in by God's grace. Keep your focus there on what he has done, not on anything that you have done. Don't become arrogant. Fear God. He is the one who has saved you.